I'm excited to share from God's Word with you this morning. We're going to keep going in our series in Ephesians, but we're in a new chapter this week. We just finished up Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to be starting in Ephesians chapter 6 today. Uh, If you would allow me, I'd like to pray one more time before we get started uh, in the Word this morning. Great God and Father, we come to you recognizing that you are our Father, and we are your children that you have adopted into your family through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, as we've already mentioned and prayed this morning. Father, I pray that you would be with me this morning as I bring your word, as I teach these four very simple verses that have great implications for our lives. And even though they are simple, they are not easy. But I pray that you'd keep me from saying things that are unkind or unwell. The Lord, that I would stay within what what you've said in your word and that you would help us all to receive what you have taught us and what you were saying to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, where we're at in the book of Ephesians is commonly referred to as the household codes. It's a place in Ephesians where Paul is uh, talking to these people that he's spent several chapters already talking about the gospel and how we can come to faith in Christ, what it means to be saved by grace through faith. But then he comes to when a transition in Ephesians chapter 4, where he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You've been called by God, adopted into his family as a son or daughter. And then he encourages you to now, as I think Pastor Spencer prayed, live as if we are that. He has made us that. Now we live as we are. And what we just got done covering in Ephesians chapter 5 that Pastor Tim spent several weeks on is a part of the household in terms of a husband's relationship to his wife and a wife's relationship to her husband, that part of the household. And what we're doing today, we're, we're moving on to a different part of the household, not a husband's relationship with their wife, but now a parent's relationship with their children. And what does it mean for a Christian child to be a child to their parents? What does it mean for a Christian parent to be a parent to their child? Remember, this is all under the umbrella of the understanding that these people are walking with the Lord. These people know God and they have faith in Christ. But what we see very clearly expressed is that having faith in Christ changes the way you relate to your parents. Having faith in Christ changes the way you relate to your kids. And it rearranges your priorities. It changes some things. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 this morning. And Paul addresses two groups very clearly. He speaks to children, and he speaks specifically to fathers. And we'll get to that point. But if you would read with me Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul begins his address to this part of the household by singling out children, which is actually pretty amazing. 
What that shows us is when, when Ephesians as a letter, as it originally was by Paul, was delivered to this church and the church was all together and they were listening to this letter be read to all, this address to children, you know what that proves? Kids were there. Children were listening as this was being read to the church. They were present in the congregation. They were hearing what was being said to them. It shows that, yeah, even though this is the place where Paul, he specifically singles out children, but it doesn't mean that everything that was said before this didn't apply to them. Because in the same way that what he's saying here applies to children, it's, it's built upon everything that he said before. A child, a child that's walking with the Lord. Children, now it's time for me to address you. You need to listen up here. I was just talking to your mom as a, as a wife. I was talking to your, your dad as a husband. Now I'm talking to you as a child. But they've been listening the whole time. Everything about what we've covered so far, salvation by grace through faith, guess what? That's for kids. Walking in the Spirit, guess what? That's for kids. Walking in a manner worthy of your calling, being adopted into God's family in the church, guess what? All of it for kids. It's for children. God has something to say to children. He has some, his word is to them just as much as it is to adults. And so shame on us if we think that a time where we are spending in God's word to teach kids isn't relevant to them. Shame on us for that if we think that. It means that what we do, what we're doing right now in, in this room, looking at God's word, praising God with music, praying to him, all of the things that we are doing in this room, guess what? It is very relevant for kids. And it is what they need to hear. It's just as much for them as it is for us. But we know here, children, the thing is, every single person in this, in this room is a child. You were born by parents. You are part of a family. And so this applies to all of you. But we know specifically Paul is talking to younger children that are still being reared in the home because of his commands to them here in just a minute. And so listen up real quick. I know that we dismissed some of our children to children's church. But if you're six years old, I want you to raise your hand. I saw one. All right, at least one. There's two, at least over there. If you're seven years old, raise your hand. Okay. I see you guys. Eight. All right. High and proud. Nine. Okay. Ten. Eleven. Twelve. All right. Thirteen. All right. I got to stop at 13 because once you get into the teenagers, they don't like being called kids anymore, right? We got to call them teenagers. But it goes, it goes on and on. Guys, those of you that raised your hands, I want you to know this. We're talking to you right now. Sometimes you feel like the things that get said in church don't matter to you and you don't understand what's going on. What I want you to understand this, I'm talking right to you right now because you're a child in your parents' home and you're being raised by them. And Paul has something to say to you that if you profess that you are a Christian, if you have confessed that you are a sinner and that you need a savior and you know that Jesus Christ can be that savior because he died on the cross for you, and three days later, he rose from the dead to new life. And you know that if you put your faith in him, then you can be saved from your sin and you can have new life in Christ. Paul is talking to you right now. He's talking to me too. He's talking to all of us. But specifically what I want you to see is, is what he's saying to you. So what does he say to you? 
What is for you here in this passage? It's actually really, really simple. It's very basic. But just because it's simple does not mean that it's easy. But I want you to listen. He says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Which means this, obey your parents just like you obey God. Obey your parents just like you obey God. That's what that phrase, in the Lord, means. You see, when a person puts their faith in Jesus, like I was just talking about, and they become a follower of Christ, they make Jesus the Lord and master of their life, which means that they are following him. They walk in obedience to him. They live in obedience to Jesus because he has saved them from their sin. And Paul is saying that just in the same way you follow Jesus, you are to follow and to obey your parents. Now, I want to be really clear right now. He doesn't say that obeying your parents makes you a Christian, does he? That's not what makes you a Christian. He says that you obey your parents because you are a Christian, because you have put your faith in Jesus. Earlier in Paul's letter, he talked to us and he told us that you are not saved by the things that you do and the works that you do or the rules that you follow. You're saved because of what Jesus has done for you. That's what makes you a Christian. But if Jesus has done that for you, it changes the way that you live. And you now live in obedience to him. And part of the way that it changes the way you live in your day-to-day life is you listen to your parents too. Now, maybe for a split second, you were really excited that you got to raise your hand. And you were really excited that this has something specifically to say to you. But maybe you're not excited anymore right? Because you were just told, obey your parents. And that's not fun to hear, right? I understand that. I understand that's not easy to hear. Obeying our parents is not always what we want to do. We don't always like what our parents tell us to do. We don't think it's going to make us happy. We don't think it's what's best for us. But I know that sometimes if there's a rule that we need to follow, if there's something we need to do, it's often easier to know why, What's the reason? What's the purpose behind why I should do this? Well, Paul is nice enough to give us a reason, to tell us the reason why we should do this. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He says that you should do this because it is the right thing for you to do. Well, that doesn't really answer the question, does it? Why is it right for me to do this? He gives at least two reasons. It's right Because God said that it's right. He references the fifth commandment. He says, honor your father and mother. You see, God gets to say that something is right because he's God. That's part of what it means to be God, is that God gets to choose the rules. Maybe when you've played with your friends before, you've you've created a game, and you've played a game with them. Well, let me ask you this. If, If you make a game, who gets to make the rules for that game? You do, don't you? You get to say where out of bounds is. You get to say if you're allowed to dribble the ball more than once. You get to say if it's allowed to touch the ground. You get to make that rule. Why? Because you made up the game. Well, guess what? God created the whole universe, and God created you, which means this. God gets to set the rules. He gets to say what is right and what is wrong. That's part of what it means for him to be God. He is God. He gets to do that. It does us no good to argue with the person who made up the game because it's their game. That's the first reason it's right. But it's also right 
because it leads to good things. That's a very simple way to put this. But what he says next is this. He says, honor your father and mother. Then he says, this is the first commandment with a promise. And then he tells you what the promise is. He says, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Well, that sounds a little confusing. What, what exactly is that talking about? What is that referencing? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That command was originally given to the people of Israel that God had freed from slavery in Egypt. And he told them, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you in this land that I'm giving you, in this land that I'm bringing you to. What, you see what this is? This is a part of the Bible where it's talking about the wisdom that we receive from our parents when they're teaching us and they're instructing us and they're telling us the right way to respond and the right thing to do in this situation. When we, when we glean from our parents' wisdom, when we get their wisdom, it generally leads to good things that will happen in your life. And that's nothing wrong for us to say. We're not saying that it's some kind of payment system where if I do what God says, he does good things for me. That's not it. It's just recognizing that this is how the world works. Your parents know how the world works. And so if you listen to them, you will then know how the world works too. There's a verse in Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. And it says this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Your mom and your dad's instruction are like prizes that you receive and that you treasure and that you hold that will lead to your flourishing. And, you know, this is kind of strange because we often don't think that obeying our parents will make us happy, right? We often think that most of the time, we, and we don't obey them because we think that doing what we want to do will make us happy. And in the moments where our parents are asking us to do one thing or telling us one thing, but we want to do this other thing, we often choose what we want because we think it will make us the most happy. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been wrong about that? Have you ever found out after the fact that my mom was right? My dad was right. I should have listened. I should have done what they said. You know, there's some hard truths that sometimes we have to admit to ourselves. Here's some hard things maybe you need to remember about your mom and your dad. Sometimes their rules don't make sense to you because they know something you don't. Let me tell you guys something. Your mom and dad, they... they they might not seem like it all the time, but they actually are pretty smart people, and they know a lot of things, right? I'm seeing some of y'all's faces right now, like dads are eating this up. You're like, you hear that, son? <clears throat> don't worry, your time's coming. <laughs> You're next, right? But they know things that you don't, and sometimes having more information changes the decision that you're going to make. And if they know something you don't, you need to rely on them to tell you the right thing. But you know what? Sometimes their rules don't make sense because all we can think about is what's happening right here, right now. When guess what? Your parents are old. And they're not thinking about what's happening right now. They're thinking about what's happening tomorrow. They're thinking about what's happening next week. They're thinking about what's happening, get this, 10 years from now. Some of you aren't even 10 years old that raised your hand. And your mom and your dad know that a decision made today can affect you 10 years from now. And they're thinking about that. All you're thinking about sometimes is right now. And that's true, even though that's hard to admit. But listen to this. Sometimes your mom and your dad have rules 
and they tell you to do things not because they know something you don't, not because they're thinking about the future, but it's because they've made that mistake before. They've made a mistake and they know how much unhappiness it can lead to in their lives. And you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to save you from that. They're trying to help you learn from their mistake because they don't wanna see you unhappy. They wanna see you glad. They wanna see you prosper. They wanna see you flourish. And so they try to teach you to not make mistakes that they made. Knowing all of that can make obeying our parents a little easier, but I know that sometimes it is still hard to obey our parents, to do what they ask us to do, to follow their rules. Maybe you'll find this encouraging to think about the fact that Jesus was once a child too. And there's places in the Bible that tell us in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus was submissive to his earthly mother and his earthly father. Jesus obeyed them. He submitted to them. That should blow your mind because Jesus was God. Yet he submitted to his parents. He obeyed his parents. Now, obviously, Jesus did that in a way that is perfect, and we can't be perfect children. We can't perfectly obey our parents. But we try to learn from his example. We try to do as he did. And in the the places that we fail, that's where we look to him as our savior, as the one who can forgive us for that sin. Another thing I hope encourages you is this, is that, guys, it won't be like this forever. You know, your relationship over time with your parents will change. In fact, it'll kind of switch places. Right now, you are dependent on your parents. Let me tell you something. I've even talked to people today where it's not that they are any longer dependent on their parents, but one day your parents will depend on you and they will need you to help take care of them if they get old, if they get sick, if they can't do things for themselves anymore. And the commandment to honor your father and mother is no, at that stage, not so much about obeying anymore as it is loving them and taking care of them and providing for what they need. But for right now, what I want you to focus on, if if you're a child, you need to focus on this. Obey your parents in the Lord. Because I'm about to tell your moms and dads something that is their responsibility. If you are to obey your parents, they are responsible to give you instruction. They are responsible to lead you in the right paths. But I don't want you to tune this out when I'm talking to your moms and dads because you know why? One day you will be a dad. One day you will be a mom. And you're gonna need to know how you do that as well. And so I wanna switch gears now. Dads, I told you your time was coming. Moms, your time's coming too, right? You were probably elbowing your kids, thinking about everything. Like, you hear that? You hear that? You hear what the preacher said this morning? Well, now it's it's time for you to listen. I hope that you do listen well. Let me read verse four one more time for us. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Just as children have a responsibility to obey their parents if they're walking in the Lord, Christian parents have a responsibility to instruct and to teach their children. It's this idea of instructing and teaching, of educating with two different sides of a coin. On the one hand, and and this, I really like the way this is broken down because it's really easy for us dads sometimes where don't do this, but do this. And that's exactly how he breaks down what he says to fathers, isn't it? 
Now, you, maybe you notice, like, I specifically have res- referenced fathers in the sermon. And that's because that is who Paul is referencing here in verse 4. That doesn't mean that a mother's instruction is not important. It doesn't mean that a, a woman in the home has no right to teach her children or to instruct her children in anything. That's actually, Paul would not say that because what we just said to children, you know, did he say to children, children, obey your fathers in the Lord? No, he said, obey your parents in the Lord. He included the mother in that. The commandment that that he cited, obey your father or honor your father. No, it wasn't the father alone. It was obey your father. I'm sorry, it was honor your father and mother. She was included in that as well. So what this represents then, how should we think about this, this specific address to fathers here It doesn't mean that only the father is doing any kind of instruction or teaching of his kids, but what it means is that the rearing of children in a Christian home is specifically the responsibility of the father. It should be his interest more than any other to see that his children are being instructed in the Lord. He's not always the one doing the instruction, but he's responsible for ensuring that it happens He encourages it, he delights in it, he resources it, and he prioritizes it for his family, the Christian father. The importance of a father's leadership in his home during the developmental stages of children can't be overstated. I mean, I'm sure that you've seen the statistics and the studies, and I could spend all morning citing those about how fathers present in the home has a radical impact on how children turn out statistically over time as people have studied communities and it has a huge impact but I don't think that I need to cite those to you but I do think that maybe there are some here who would think that talking to fathers and emphasizing the role of the father in the home is somehow devaluing to mothers and somehow devaluing to women in the home but I'm honestly not that worried about that either because I'm willing to bet that the majority of women in this room are thinking the exact same thing, the importance of their husband's engagement with their kids and involvement with their kids when it comes to instructing them in the Lord and bringing them up in the Lord. Let me just ask you this. Of the families that you know, do you hear any wives complaining that their husbands need to step back and stop being so involved in their kids' lives? Do you know any women that say that? I've never heard that. You know what I've heard? I've spoken to many wives who are desperate for their husbands to put down the TV remote and the video game controller, who wish their husbands would not take the extra hours at work, who wish that their husbands would come home from the gym, and who are praying that their husbands would take up the leadership mantle that God has given to them as the fathers in their home. See, the women that I talk to, they want their husbands to do this. They want them. They are trying to encourage them and give them opportunities to take on this leadership role, not to discourage it. See, our culture has a way of telling men in our world that they are not wanted and their input is not desired and it is not seen as valuable. What we see in Scripture is the exact opposite, is that we need men to step up in their families. We need men to instruct their children, men most of all, to lead their families well in this way. 
And so how are you supposed to do that, men? What are we to do? Well, I know that not all of us are very handy. Some people are more handy than others, but usually every household has somewhat of a basic toolbox or tool drawer somewhere, and you have certain basic tools in there. And I think the way that we can think about this passage here is that we are given some basic tools that we use to raise our children, to lead them, to love them well. First, the thing that we need to see is that uh, we are to not provoke our children to anger. This is kind of the what are we not to do? What are we to avoid and to try to not do for our kids? Our children should not, through our instruction, should not be provoked to anger. It should not lead them to bitterness towards us. There's a parallel passage to this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. And here Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged lest they become discouragement. And so fathers, the instruction that you provide to your children and the way you lead your home should not lead them to becoming angry and embittered towards you and discouraged about themselves. And they should never question whether or not their dad actually loves them or not. There are many ways that we can provoke our children. And I don't wanna give you an, an unclear picture here This doesn't mean that your kids should always be happy with the instruction that you give. It doesn't mean that you're gonna have this pleasant household all the time where your kids never argue because you're being completely fair, right? Like that's that's not a clear picture of what life in your home is gonna look like, but there's a big difference when the anger in them is the result of a rebellious, sinful heart versus the heavy-handedness or unjust care of their dads. There's a big difference between those two scenarios, aren't there? And so how are some ways that we oftentimes can provoke our children to anger? If we're to avoid that, what are the things that we need to avoid? This is a laundry list that could be a a page and and a whole book long. But just for some examples to try to make this understandable for us, we provoke our children when our rules or our discipline are arbitrary or inconsistent. When the rules today are not the rules tomorrow, tomorrow, or when they are the rules, but you only get in trouble for them tomorrow, but not for today. When we're inconsistent like that, it is confusing and provokes anger in our children. We provoke our children when we live hypocritically and we require of them what we do not require of ourselves. That can embitter your children towards you. We provoke our children when our discipline is excessive. In other words, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Was it really deserving of that discipline that you brought to your children? We provoke our children when we don't take time to genuinely enjoy them and delight in them. Fathers, if your only relationship with your kids is to teach them formally and to discipline them when they have done something wrong and they don't know that you are their dad and you genuinely love them and enjoy being around them, you are going to set yourself up only as a disciplinarian, only as a formal relationship that exists in the home when what your children need is to know that their dads love them. We can provoke our children when we show favoritism towards other children and we unfairly compare them to one another. Why can't you just understand this like your sister? Your brother didn't have any trouble doing that. Why can't you do it? That can provoke your children to anger. 
We provoke our children when we push them towards our goals instead of allowing them to have goals of their own. Dad, sometimes the thing that we need to understand is that your children are their own person with their own interests and their own desires. And when you try to fit them into the mold that you exactly want them to be, you can embitter them and provoke them to anger. We provoke our kids to anger when we expect maturity and behavior that is unreasonable for their age. We expect them to act like adults when they're kids. You expect them to act like teenagers when they're toddlers. And we can provoke our kids when we do that. Now, I don't know about you guys. I go through that list and I am absolutely convicted because I have done every single one of those things to my kids. I have expected behavior out of them that honestly I don't expect out of myself sometimes. I have held them to standards that I let go in my own life. I have been over excessive in my discipline. I've shown favoritism. I have not taken time to just sit with them and enjoy them and love them. I've done that which is exactly why I've got to go to God and ask for his forgiveness for where I have failed in this. Every single one of us has to do that because we see this and we say, how could I not provoke my children to anger? I can't be the perfect dad. And let me tell you, no, you can't. You're going to make mistakes. And that's where your parenting and and trying to do everything that you can to raise your kids has got to be bathed in prayer that God would work in your life despite you sometimes, that he would work in your kids despite the failures that you make, despite the mistakes that you, that you say to them. I was particularly convicted this week preparing for, for this sermon. It hits close to home, doesn't it? And I need to oftentimes confess my sin and the way that I have failed to do this, not only to God, but sometimes I need to confess that to my kids and ask them for their forgiveness too. And I've got to rely on God to continue to work through me despite the mistakes that I make. And so Paul says, well, that's what you are to not do. Do not provoke your children to anger. But what are we to do? If that's one tool in the toolbox, what is the other tool that we have here? He tells us what we are to do. It says in verse four again, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. He says that we are to bring them up. What kind of gets lost in translation there is that this is actually the same word that was used back in chapter five, verse 29, when Paul said that no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. The idea of a father's responsibility and parents' responsibility towards their kids is to kindly, gently, lovingly nourish and cherish their children, to bring them up. That's what it means for us, to bring them up in the Lord. And this is where we see a very clear connection in the same way we saw a connection between the responsibilities and the callings of a wife and the calling of a husband, of how they are to relate to one another. We saw very clearly how they just interconnect and intertwine into God's design. And we see that same thing here. 
I just got done talking to kids in the room, and all of you are children of someone in some way. But we are to obey our parents. Why? Because our parents should be and are commanded to be instructing their children, nourishing them and guiding them in the Lord towards maturity to where if you have a child who is obeying their parents and a parent who is faithfully instructing and nourishing and cherishing their child, it works together, doesn't it? This is how God designed the family to work. So how are we to do that? What are we to do to gently nourish and cherish our children towards maturity? We have two things that we use. Again, tools in the toolbox. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction. A two-pronged approach. Two parts of the same act of what you're doing. You say, bring them up in the discipline. Now, discipline is the idea of correction of when our children have veered off of the path, when they are going a direction they don't need to go, we gently correct them. We put them back on the path so that they do not continue to go in the direction that will lead them towards destruction if they continue down that path. We do it as an act of love to bring them back to where they need to be. And let me be very clear here. I'm not talking about discipline only in terms of the physical discipline that we might bring to our children, but discipline takes many forms, as I'm sure that you know as a parent and that you use. It could be consequences that are set up in their lives. Just correction. It was a wrong idea, and you just correct the idea. Or maybe you need to rebuke and actually talk to your children. Discipline takes many different varieties, but I think we often hesitate to even think about it. Discipline is kind of a bad word today, isn't it? It's seen as heavy-handed. It's seen as unkind and unloving. No one, no parent I know wants to be seen by their kids as a harsh disciplinarian. We would much rather be seen by our kids as their friends, someone that they can come talk to and be comfortable with and love them. That's what we want to be seen as. And I don't want to discount that I'm sure that there has been absolutely, and I, I have no doubt, maybe even people in this room who They had parents who were very zealous disciplinarians and it left its mark and it hurt and it led to a lot of pain. As I was preparing for this, I was reading through a a little booklet written by uh, Alistair Begg on these verses. It's called Parenting God's Way. And something he said struck me very, very clearly that as damaging as overzealous discipline might be, lax discipline can be just as destructive in the life of a child. If our kids are allowed to go in a direction that we know is wrong, how is it loving to allow them to keep going that way? We have to love them enough to gently bring them back so that they may find the path towards righteousness. And there, despite, there's pressures in society too on us. Maybe it's not just our personal experience, but the people around us where We think that people are gonna look at us a certain way if we discipline our kids. We're gonna be accused of abusing our children, of hating our children if we discipline them in this way. But as Christians, as followers of Christ that we've already talked about this morning, we don't take our cues from society, we take our cues from God. And if there's anything that's clear is that God's word is actually very clear about the role of discipline in the life of a family between a parent and a child. I'm just going to read you two passages that I'm sure that you've heard before. One of them we already read today. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, 
but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. It's an act of love. You're diligent to discipline him. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 9 through 11 says, Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, when we discipline our children as their parents, we are imitating God our Father who disciplines us for our good, leading them towards the path that they need to take, towards what will be eventually the peaceful fruit of righteousness that we hope for their lives. That's what we hope. See, discipline is an act of love that in the moment is not enjoyable. It's definitely not enjoyable for the kids. It's not enjoyable for parents either. We don't like having to do that, but we do it because we trust that it is what they need and that it is good for them. And we have been called to it as parents by God. And so we discipline as a negative form of instruction, of trying to keep them away from wrong things, but we also positively instruct them. He says again in verse four, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is exactly what it sounds like. It is educating our kids. It is teaching our children and instructing them in the things that they need to know. Notice this, it is the instruction of the Lord. It is absolutely your responsibility as a parent to try to prepare your kids for life in general in this world, whether that means preparing them to function economically in our, in our uh, area here, to uh, function as a citizen of our country. Yes, we do all of those things. But this, the specific thing that this is calling us to instruct our kids in is the instruction of the Lord. Teaching our kids about God and who God is, what he has done for them, what he has called them to do. This is the task that is on you. And it's a two-pronged approach. If you think about it like this, like a gardener who is taking care of a plant that is in their garden and they see this rogue twig starting to shoot off in this direction that doesn't fit the plan and is in the end not going to be good for the plant because it's gonna take away all the nutrition. What does a good gardener do? Well, he disciplines the plant, he prunes it. He cuts it off to keep it from going in that direction. But that's not all a good gardener will do. A good gardener will actually bring into the plant's life the things that it needs to actually flourish and be nourished towards the maturity that desires, right? Sunlight, water, fertilizer, bringing all of those things positively into the presence of this plant so that it will grow to nourish it, so that it will reach maturity it's the same thing with our parental duties. We are called to discipline, yes, but we are also called to instruct. We must take the two-pronged approach because if we only take the one, if we only take the route of discipline, we're in grave danger. You're actually in danger of communicating to your kids that Christianity is all about following the rules and being a moral person when in fact that's not what Christianity is about at all. Christianity is about how God has reconciled rule breakers to him through the sacrifice and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. You can communicate to your kids what it means to follow the rules, 
But if they're gonna understand what Jesus has done for them, somebody's gotta tell them. And God has called you to be the one to tell them about that, to instruct them in these things. Our discipline, like I said, is of the Lord. Your, your kids need to know who God is. Your kids need to know who they are. They need to know very simple, basic words that we take for granted. Are you confident that your child would be able to define for you what sin is? Would they be able to tell you why it was important that Jesus died on the cross? Would they be able to tell you why it was important he rose from the dead? Do they know what faith is? Grace, salvation, the concept of eternity. All of these things are what we are ultimately wanting our children to understand as they understand the gospel and how they are called to respond to it. In, in a very basic phrase, every parent is a missionary in their own home because no children are born Christians. Now, I understand I've never met a parent who has not agreed with me that that is their sovereign responsibility as a parent, what they are called to do by God. Every parent I've ever met understands that they have been called to do that, that they are the primary teachers and disciplers of their own children. But I've also met many parents who do little to nothing in this regard to actually work towards that, to do that. I think there's probably many reasons why, but I think there's just two that I wanna specifically highlight because I think that they're probably the most common. The first one is this, parents genuinely don't know what to do. Scott, I'm hearing you. I understand, I've been called by God to do this and I want to do this. I just don't know what to do. You see, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My parents didn't instruct me about who God was. I learned that at church. We didn't read the Bible at all in our house. What am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. I understand that. That makes sense. And that is exactly where the church, with its pastors and teachers and its older members, are to step in to help families, to teach them, well, what are you supposed to do? Well, let's talk about that. Let's learn that. I'm the family ministry pastor at this church, not the youth pastor, not the children's pastor. My primary concern with the people in this room are not necessarily the kids, it's their parents. I want to try to teach you. This is just maybe a little commercial. This last semester of Sunday school, we've had a class on family discipleship, and this is exactly what we've been talking about. How do you do this? How do you teach your kids? How do you instruct your children? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do it? And that class has been very helpful for the people in it, I think. We're gonna be repeating it next semester for people who didn't take it this time that wanna take it next time maybe, that wanna glean from it. But that's the whole point of why we gather as a church to learn these things of what we're supposed to do. Beyond that class, I wanna encourage you, there's a book stall right about out there in the hallway. A good number of the books that are on that bookshelf are geared towards parenting and how to fulfill this responsibility that you have. I encourage you, just go look at some of them. And if one of them strikes your interest, buy it and read it and put it into practice. The resources are there. You just need to search for them. The second reason I think many parents don't take on this responsibility as they know they should is very simple. Time constraints in the family schedule make it very, very difficult sometimes. And I'm not gonna go into detail about all of the things that fill up our schedules and fill up our lives because 
But to be very honest with you, I don't want anybody in this room to feel guilty for being busy. Life gets busy. There are some seasons that are busier than others, but everyone gets busy at some point in time. And so the problem is not busyness. But I do think that this needs to be said. I would look at this passage, and there's a few others that we could look at if we had time this morning. And the argument that I would make to you is this, is that to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is the task of what it means to be a Christian parent. It is the task that you are commanded to do by God, that God has given you a responsibility to do. God has not given you an instruction to ensure that your children end up in the best college or on the best team, that they make the most money in their life. You can work hard, you can work your tail off to try to bring those things into your kids' lives. But at the end of the day, if you have focused all of your time and all of your attention and all of your focus on those things, but you have neglected the duty that God has put before you to spend time telling them and teaching them and instructing them about the Lord, what have you really done? Jesus said in Mark 8, 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Parents, yes, teach your children the things of the world, but if you do anything, teach them the things of God because they will stand before him one day. And our goal in nurturing them and cherishing them towards maturity is a maturity in God, in Christ, of having faith in the Lord. And as strongly as I would say that this is your responsibility, I wanna take a balanced approach because the Bible takes a balanced approach. As much and as serious as we take this responsibility, we do it fully recognizing that all of our efforts to instruct and to teach our children are completely dependent on God working in their lives in his own unique way. We are trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to their hearts through the things that we are doing. I cannot guarantee you and give you a formula of reading your Bible every night and praying with your kids often and doing this and doing that and being part of this ministry and being part of that ministry to make your kids just become Christians. I can't give you that because that's not how this works. Their faith is ultimately not dependent on you. You're probably familiar with Proverbs 22.6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We don't read that as a promise, do we? It's not a guarantee that if you are going to instruct your children in the Lord that they will end up following him. Can't guarantee you that. But I will say this, that proverb is not a promise, but it is a principle, isn't it? It is a principle and it acknowledges that there is a pattern in our world And that pattern very simply is this, is that the parent who takes the time to instruct their children in the faith is much more likely to see the result of faith in their children. Can you, as a person, produce faith in your kids? Can you make them a Christian? No, you cannot. But I guarantee you, the time that you spend teaching and instructing and encouraging your children towards faith God will use that. It's every time you sit down to pray with your kids, 
Every time you sit down to read scripture with them, every time you go home and you eat lunch together and you explain and you talk about what happened in the service on a Sunday morning, you review the children's notes things that we prepare and put at the welcome centers for you. Every time you do that, what you are doing is you are acting in faith, praying and hoping that God will use your effort in your kids' lives to bring them to faith in Christ. Because our ultimate goal of our parenting is not to always relate to our kids as our children. But we want to be able to look at them and say, no longer son or daughter, but brother and sister in the Lord. God has entrusted children. I mean, for every age that I said earlier, maybe because of where you are, you didn't see it. There were multiple children of every single one of those ages in this room, which is awesome. There's more kids that are over there and there's more kids that are over there and there's like seven kids that are gonna be born this year alone in our church, which is awesome. God has entrusted these little souls to us to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord so that we may add them to our number and call them brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what we hope for and that's what we're shooting for and we do it in faith knowing that we can't make it happen, but God can. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you've given us a task, Lord, that I know at times I feel is absolutely impossible, that I am completely unfit, unworthy, and unable to fulfill it. I was certainly not the model child, and I definitely don't feel like the model parent. But Lord, even in my childish rebellion against my parents, you reached into my life and you saved me from my sin. You provided what was needed to make that happen. God, I pray that you would do the same thing for my kids. Lord, as I try to fulfill the calling that you've given to me as a Christian parent to pass on my faith to my children, I pray that you would work in their hearts. Keep me from the temptation to embitter them and provoke them to anger and instead help me to gently love them and nourish them and cherish them. Lord, of all the children that are in our church and all of the parents that are here, God, we recognize that you've given us this amazing privilege to love our kids in this way. Father, we pray that you would help us in that responsibility and that task. Where we fail, would you forgive us and give us the energy that we need to continue moving forward. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.